We read uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who in righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So I have a question for you to kick us off today. Do you love gifts? Yes, a few people do. Great. Whether it's birthdays, Christmas time, work parties. Some people love gift giving and gift receiving. Uh, maybe like, they're a bit like in, uh, as Gary Chapman says in his book, The Five Love Languages. One of their love languages is gifts. I mean, they're all about gifts. Perhaps you're one of those people who love to receive a gift. For you, receiving a gift from someone really ticks that box and says that they really care for you. Or maybe you're the kind of person who prefers to give gifts. Maybe you simply love buying or making gifts for other people. For you, you gain a sense of satisfaction and joy simply from putting a smile on someone else's dial. But let's face it, there is a third group of people amongst us here today, and you know who you are. Let's call this third group of people Grinches. This group of people don't care all that much about gifts. For this group of folk, uh, when you give them a gift, you might get a polite thanks, and that's about it. And uh, when it comes to buying gifts for other people, let's be honest, they're a bit pathetic in this department as well. And I must admit, I for one uh, probably do actually fit in that Grinch group. But gift giving, gift receiving, it's just not really my thing. It's, it's not what I naturally do. Turns out though that when it comes to the Christian faith, there is a gift out there that transcends our Grinchiness or our love languages. It's a gift that you and I all need, no matter who you are. A gift we should all want, and a gift that we can't really offer to other people until we truly receive it ourselves first. Now, you probably know what this gift is. It's none other than the gospel, the gift of Jesus. Now, unlike other earthly gifts out there, it's by nature, it's enduring, and it's a constant gift. Unlike single-use gifts like birthday party poppers or a restaurant voucher, the gospel's not a single-use-only kind of gift. It's rather a gift that, by nature, just keeps on giving and giving. As we turn to Second Peter now and the opening few verses before us, Straight away, this is what the Apostle Peter teaches us about the gospel. By its very nature, the gospel is a gift, a gift from a gift-giving God. And so this morning, what I really want to do is just run through three aspects of the gospel, that uh, three gifts, if you like, that we receive from, through the gospel. And so the first gift that we receive according to our passage, or shown in our passage, is the gift of a new identity. 
a new identity as servants of Christ who live under his lordship. As Johan just read, the opening uh, part of our letter says this. It says, Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter describes himself in two ways here. First, as a servant, and secondly, as an apostle. Out of these two self-identifications, one is transferable to us and descriptive of all Christians, while the other is not transferable to all Christians, but rather describes a small, select group of individuals. The term apostle fits this second category. With the word apostle, when it's used the way that Peter is using it here in this letter, it refers specifically to the original 12 men Jesus chose to be his first disciples. Along with Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot because of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. As well as the apostle Paul, who had a unique calling and vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so throughout 2 Peter we'll see the unique role and the unique authority that Peter had along with the other apostles in the birth of the church, in the early church, as well as the central role that these men played in giving us the New Testament as we have it today. And so I look forward to touching on that as the series unfolds. But the other term, servant, is something that is transferable to us, that does describe us as well. Sometimes the word servant can be translated slave or bondservant, relating in some ways to the institution of slavery that existed in the Roman world. Now, you might be thinking there today, as you listen to that, thinking, how is being a servant or a slave a gift that we receive in the gospel? And indeed, as we consider the Western world that we live in today and the central place that individual autonomy plays in our culture, any notion of slave isn't all that appealing to us. I mean, who wants to be a slave and have a master, right? And yet for the Christian, it's actually an incredibly privileged position. Why? Because we are privileged to be the servant of the king of the universe. Back in high school, I had a friend who, uh, if my memory recalls and serves me well, uh, he was a ball boy for the Australian Open. He was invited to do that. Uh, and if you watch the ball boys and ball girls, I mean, let's, let's face it, it's certainly a position of servanthood. I mean, their sole responsibility is to chase tennis ball around the court, uh, all for the players as quickly as possible. Um, in really crude terms, you could basically say they're a modern-day slave for the players, right? But do you think my friend was at all ashamed about that? <laughs> no way. I mean, what a privilege. He was able to work for Tennis Australia, one of the most esteemed organizations in our society. And he gets to uh, watch and be right there, get the front row seat of some of the most famous players that play in the world. In a similar way, Christians too are servants with our own master. But we get to serve not on a tennis court, but in our heavenly king's court, 
with Jesus as our Lord. I mean, it's a badge of supreme honor. I wonder if you view it like that today. Our identity also of being servants of Christ has another benefit too. The more grounded that you and I are in our identity in Christ, the more sure and firm your character becomes. Having a firm identity in Christ is like a a penetrable shield, a, a rock solid foundation, one that can't be degraded or offended. Today's world, uh, the, the world that we live in, is really all about personal identities. Whether it's tying your identity to your race, your sexuality, your skin color, your job, or perhaps the, your class in society. And yet it's equally true that self-doubt and insecurity abound in the hearts of so many who struggle with self-worth and self-value. But we weren't designed by nature to find our identity in ourselves or in others, but in God. And having our identity outside ourselves in Christ, that is what brings true security That's what brings true joy and fulfillment, a rock-solid identity. That's not the only gift that Peter highlights for us in our passage. The second gift that we see here is that as God works the gospel into our hearts, the second gift is the gift of faith, a faith that exalts the humble. the rest of verse 1, it continues and says, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Uh, The word here for received, it conveys uh, the idea of uh, uh, like casting lots, as receiving something through casting lots. Or in modern day terms you might think uh, flipping the coin or rolling the dice. Uh, Throughout the Bible, very rarely, casting casting lots was used as a way of determining God's will in a given situation. Being done with the understanding that the world and our lives aren't governed by chance, but by God's providence. Saving faith in Jesus, then, is not something that we can earn or achieve. Nor is it simply something that is by chance that someone comes to faith while others do not. Rather, by using this word, Paul seems to be saying that saving faith is God's free gift given in accordance to God's divine will. Even our ability to respond to the gospel is ultimately a gift from God. Furthermore, Peter says it's a faith that is as precious as ours. Uh, Some translations says it's a faith equal to ours. Now, it's a little bit hard to know exactly who Peter is referring to when he uses the word ours, whether it's the faith of the apostles or is he referring to just all Christians more generally. Uh, I think it probably refers to both, but in some ways it doesn't matter. The, The general point is clear. The gift of faith is by nature a gift that lifts us up to be an equal standing with other Christians. A few nights ago, uh, 
in the Tour de France, first and second place were having a really good duel with each other on the, on the bike track. And the second place, Bogachar, he managed to stack his bike while he was uh, riding and chasing his opponent. And he was just sliding along in the gravel. But number one, Vindegaard, could have, he could have raced off ahead and really rubbed it in his opponent's nose. But in true gentleman fashion, he waited for his rival to catch up to him again and get back on his bike. Now, I mention that because in some ways that gives us a little picture of our own journey in the Christian faith. Actually, in our sin, like that second place rider, all of us have had a bit of a fall. Not just a little fall off our bike, but actually a really big fall. One in which we can't recover from ourselves. We can't actually get back on our bike per se and keep on riding as if nothing has happened. This is because sin, being our rebellion against our heavenly king, is is not a problem that we have the capacity to deal with or recover from ourselves. But thankfully, God did not leave his people in the ditch, stuck on the roadside. But he came to us, not only as our Lord, but also as our Savior, accomplishing salvation for us through, as Peter says, his righteousness. What does Peter mean by this, his righteousness? Well, Peter doesn't explain it as much as what Paul might have done in Romans, but surely what he's doing here is pointing us to the cross. For it was on the cross that God's righteous demands were satisfied. God could not simply overlook sin and shrug it off. It had to be dealt with. It demanded just judgment. God as our heavenly and the ultimate just judge had to justly hand out the sentence for the most unspeakable crime, being sin. Sin being the ultimate offense in the face of an infinitely holy and good God. There on the cross, Jesus received the judgment for sin, dying in our place and taking the penalty of sin upon himself, paying the price for us that our sin deserved. And now for all who have faith in Jesus, his loss becomes our gain. It becomes his gift to you. For on the cross and in his resurrection, three days later, the power of sin was defeated and broken. The judgment coming against us was averted. But actually there's an offensive nature to this gift of faith. For a part of receiving saving faith requires you to recognize the humble and lowly position you are in in the first place. Recognizing that because of your sin, you are, without Jesus, stuck in a ditch. It's recognizing that by nature you are fallen and sinful and are in need of a saviour. I wonder if you deep down truly recognize your own need for Jesus to be your savior. Mm. 
So through the work of the gospel, we have seen already that Jesus gives us a new identity. We see how he gives you the gift of faith to all believers. The last thing that our passage shows us about the gospel and the gift that it is, is that through it, God gives us with grace and peace. Grace and peace that comes to us as we grow in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. When he says grace here, what he means is God's undeserved favour. And by peace, what he means is that inner security and spiritual peace that we have, knowing Christ has secured an eternal life for us in the life to come. In verse 2, what Peter shows that he has a desire for is to see fellow Christians experience this grace and peace in abundance. Some translations say to be multiplied to you. The idea is for it to increase and grow. By using this uh, word abundance or multiplied, Peter is showing that the Christian life is not meant to be static. For the Christian, yes, there is a beginning to your faith journey. Uh, Whether you grew up in a Christian home and came to faith throughout your childhood, you might not remember a particular moment, but you knew as you grew up who Jesus meant to you. What, What did the Christian faith mean to you? Or maybe you do remember a particular time that you did give your life to the Lord and that you experienced his grace and peace for the first time when your soul became filled with his love and the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. But if you're a believer today, whatever the case is for you, the the point that Peter seems to be making here in verse 2 is that as you and I journey in our Christian faith, Our journey is not over. The more of God and of Jesus, uh, we have more of God and of Jesus to experience, more of his grace and peace. (laughs) In that sense, the gospel is a gift that just keeps on giving. And actually, this introduces a, a key theme for us in the rest of Peter's letter. Soon enough, we'll see in chapter 3 and chapter 2, that he will call out various false teachers and false beliefs in a really strong way. But before we get to any of that, Peter has something else that he wants to teach us and say to us first. He gives us a glimpse of his own heart that yearns to see fellow believers keep on growing and experiencing more of the goodness of God. And so I just ask you today, fellow Christian, do you recognize your own need to experience more of Jesus and his grace and peace? One danger that you and I face in our Christian walk is the danger of becoming static. Uh, I remember a little while ago, after some big rains, uh, some puddles formed on our property. I think it was over summer. And... A few days later, I came back to those puddles and looked closely, and uh, I saw these little wriggly things growing in it, Uh, some creepy crawlies uh, starting to grow in the stale water. And I'm sure if left long enough, algae would probably soon start growing in it, a bit like uh, if you've seen a neglected outdoor pool that turns green and you probably don't want to swim in it. 
Well, just like stale water that begins to fester and grow creepy crawlies, a stale, static Christian is not a healthy Christian. If we're not growing, we're kind of dying and backsliding. Peter wants to save us from that. He wants us to flourish and and grow into a tall, fruitful tree that drinks and feeds deeply on the truth of the gospel. As we encounter our maker and redeemer of the pre- in the precious words of the Bible. And so we truly do worship a good gift-giving God. A God who gives us a new secure identity that tra- transcends other identities and is more rock solid than any other identity found in this world. God, as we've seen, gifts us with saving faith. In Christ, God has shown himself to be the greatest of humble servants, even going to the point of death on the cross for us, making himself lowly so that you and I could be exalted. And as the Holy Spirit works the truth of the gospel in the hearts, we We experience his marvelous grace and peace, undeserved grace that while we were still yet sinners, he died for us. And peace that is not of this world, that no matter what circumstances you and I face, God says, I am with you and for you, a present help in times of trouble. But for all these gifts to be true for you and I, We need to accept them. If you are new today as someone perhaps hearing the gospel for the first time and what Jesus has done, the call for you is to accept his gift. In the preaching of the gospel, God holds out his hands to you, offering Christ and his benefits to you. But you still need to receive it for yourself. Christ is calling out for you. Come and recognize your lowly state before him. Recognize yourself to be fallen and sinful and your need to live now for him as your Lord. Recognizing your need for the forgiveness of sins and indeed turning away from your sins. The Bible calls this repentance. And in faith allow him to exalt and lift you up Accepting Jesus as your perfect saviour who takes away your sin and washes you clean. Seeking in faith the forgiveness of sins from him. The Bible calls this believing. As Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so I ask you this morning, if that is you, will you then receive the amazing gift of the gospel? Or alternatively, will you be a Grinch and reject the ultimate gift? I pray that you might indeed accept that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I want to just thank you so much for your word and the reminder of the amazing gift of the gospel. Father, as we consider ourselves to be in a privileged position as your servants, Lord, under a servant king, Father, 
help us to be sure of our identity in you that no matter what the world throws at us or any other insecurities or, or inner doubts and, and dealing with our struggle with self-value or any of those things, Lord, in times like that, help us to, to run to you and see that our identity is in firm in you and that what really matters is what you think of us as your children. And Father, we thank you for the gift of faith that you didn't leave us in the ditch, but you saved us, that you picked us up and exalted us to a position that we, quite frankly, did not deserve. Father, thank you that you have saved us and that you have uh, given us a life with you for all eternity. And Father, I pray, Lord, for anyone here that doesn't know Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would indeed work in them today, that they might come to see the wonders of your grace and and see how precious Jesus is. And Father, as we uh, open up 2 Peter in the coming weeks, I do pray that as a Christian community, we would continue to grow in our faith. Help us to uh, avoid the danger of becoming stagnant and sterile, but or, or static, Lord, I, I pray, Father, that indeed you would grow us up into healthy trees that, that bear fruit. And Father, we know we can't do this ourselves, but, but with your help and your work in us, you will do that in us. And so we hold on to that and, and ask, Lord, that you would indeed work in us today and in, and in the weeks to come. We pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.